Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at facebook.com slash thishouseofcardspodcast or on iTunes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to This House of Cards podcast, an unofficial podcast about the Netflix hit show, House of Cards. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host... Chris Houston, what's up, everyone? How's it going? What's up, Tyler? Not much, buddy. What's going on with you? Uh, not much. It's kind of hot here. Um, I don't know. Is it hot where you're at, too? It's heating up here, too. I was out on the deck tonight drinking a beer and enjoying the, a, a bit of a cool breeze as the sun was going down. Nice. Uh, it's, it's pretty muggy here. I don't know how it is there, but it's been pretty... Yeah, not quite muggy yet, so I'm sorry about that. I see you're wearing a sweaty tank top. Sweaty Love tank it. top and swamp ass. Ooh, Lovely. That's... What are you drink? What are you drinking this evening? Um, well, I just finished about the remaining um, bottle of uh, some. Um, oh God, what was it? Pinot Grigio. I had to use it to cook a recipe last night, so topped up, finished the bottle off, and now I've moved on to a Zin. Excellent. What about What about you? What are you drinking? Um. So I normally, you know. During our American Horror Story podcast, my go-to drink was bourbon and cider. Yeah, it was. Since since cider cider's out of season and it's starting to get you know be uh, more summer, it's on. We're on our way to summertime, warmer temperatures. I thought I would try mixing bourbon with uh, some lemon juice and iced tea. Nice. Turned out the iced tea was unsweetened. I did not realize it was unsweetened when I put it Ew. in. So it tasted pretty terrible until I put some sugar in. But now we're doing okay. All right. So, what is that called? Uh, they, they have a. Um... Don't they have, is it Jeremiah's Sweet Tea or something like that? It's like, uh, you can buy it canned already. It's it's bourbon and, and or whiskey and, uh, and uh, sweet tea, I think. I don't know. It's, I don't know, but Frank Underwood would drink it. Let's just say that. Oh, he would. And, he would and, for sure. In his, um, with, out of a little pitcher on the wraparound oh, yeah. porch mm-hmm. in South Carolina. Or maybe while smoking cigarettes and looking out the window with Claire. Oh, yeah. Um, so as always, before we dive into this episode, we want to remind you that you can go and find us on iTunes and leave us comments and questions and give us a rating um, one way or another. We always appreciate your comments and criticism. That's This House of Cards Podcast. You can like us on Facebook at This House of Cards Podcast, and you can email us questions or comments at This House of, po- House of Cards Podcast. At House of Farts Podcast. This House of Farts Podcast. That's going to be our next podcast. <laughs> I wish. All right, everyone. Um, I'm your co-host. I am excited to break into this episode. I'm just going to go ahead and say, because we got, not only did we get a good dose of Russo, who is quickly becoming my favorite character as much as, well, I really love Frank, too. But I'm I'm definitely enjoying Russo as well. He's kind of our hero. Um, But we also got to see a lot of uh, Mr. Doug Stamper, who has been a compelling character up to now, but we haven't really... I mean, had a storyline that's really revolved around him at all. He's just kind of been, you know, um, Frank's henchman up to this point. Right. We've and always so, been interested in what his backstory was because he's intriguing. He's an intriguing guy. And I have to say, I think he's a pretty damn good actor. What do you think? Yeah, he is really good. And it's funny you bring that up because I just saw him recently over the weekend. Um, Dawn of the Dead, the remake, uh, was on, uh, oh, I don't remember what channel it was on. But it was playing, and there's a guy that's playing kind of the villain, because I don't know if you remember Dawn of the Dead, but it all takes place mostly in this mall. 
and mm-hmm. uh, there's one of the security guards, and he's a total jerk. And I was like, man, that guy's familiar. Man, that guy's familiar. And I looked him up on uh, IMDb, and sure enough, it's our uh, it's our Doug Stamp- Stamper right there. Doug Stamper, he has a history. He was but, great uh, in Dawn of the Dead, too. Total ass. Uh, you know, I just he just is so soft spoken and he's contemplative, you know, contemplative and everything he says and his motives. I mean, he can be as he's loyal. He's loyal as shit, and he can be as you know dark as Frank. But at the same time, there's a hint of compassion in him too. Right. I feel like that maybe we don't necessarily see in Frank. But anyway, enough said. Let's dig into the episode itself. Let's so obviously, it. we're diving right in. Um, we have kind of these paralleled scenes where we have the Oval Office is getting set up with chairs at the same time that um, Alcoholics Anonymous, we don't know it's Alcoholics Anonymous, yes, but it's like a basement, and you know, we're getting all the chairs set in place. And I thought it was very cool how they kind of cut these scenes together because obviously you're looking at like this dank basement compared to the Oval Office of the you know White House. Right. Um, so quite a juxtaposition there. Um I agree. Putting some, especially because we see who comes into the the AA meeting, who could potentially belong in both worlds, or does belong in both worlds. Right. So we have Russo and Stamper in the AA meeting, and we have Frank and the president and everybody else in the White House. Um, so anyway, I, we kind of have this scene to begin with where, you know, that, how, where we find out it's Alcoholics Anonymous and they're going around and everyone's kind of telling their stories. And I, I think it's Stamper that says this, I mean, is talking and he says this quote about you don't get to come back from the dead twice. Um, but he's kind of telling the story a little bit. And I, like, he's very earnest. I felt like he was being earnest when he was talking in this group and everything. Like, I think it's, it seems to me like he really did have a problem and maybe this, like, AA really is something significant to him, you know? Did you kind of get that impression too? Yeah, it definitely. You know, there's that means a, a to a lot to a few characters. I think in the show, uh, it could even you know it's a theme for uh, a few narrative arcs that we have. But specific for specifically for him, you really only get. I mean, you 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 get you can get one shot, but if you if you mess that up, you got one more maybe. And then if you if you mess that one up, you're done. Right. That's what yeah. kind of Russo's deal is. If he messes this up, because he has already dug his grave, if he if he gets out of this, he can do it. But if he doesn't get out of this, he's not going to move on to anything. Right. And, you, I mean, obviously, also in this scene, you can't help but notice that Russo seems a little bit defensive. He's kind of got his arms crossed. He's slouching a little bit. He's kind of standoffish from... Maybe he... I mean, he's wearing a suit and everyone else is in jeans and stuff like that. You know, he feels like he doesn't quite belong there. He's not comfortable yet in that s- setting. You know? Right. Um... And, 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 you know, Stamper even tells Frank that later. Like, he never, you know, Russo never talks. He's not opening up yet. And so he's not fully committing to this idea of a revitalized self for kind of what it's going to take to be governor. And that's kind of a recurring theme in this episode. Right. Um, but let's go to jump to the White House. So we saw them setting up the Oval Office. They're signing it up to finally end this education bill piece that we've been going on and on. The Thank past God. We're finally seeing, the you know, this whole storyline's getting resolved. I agree. Absolutely about time. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they're putting X's on the floor. And we see kind of the scene where um, the vice president... I don't even... I wrote his name down for somewhere else. But um, so Frank ends up getting... Old white a, guy. Yeah. So Frank gets a position on the carpet closer to the president than even 
The vice president does. And the vice president is not very happy about that and decides he's not going to stand on his axe there. He's going to stand closer to the president. He wants to be more visible, wants to be more seen. Um, maybe a potential future rival for Frank. Uh, clearly, he's getting a little bit um, frustrated with not being as involved as, in things as Frank Right. Is. He literally is getting shuffled off to the side, to the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, Zoe and Janine, both of them are there reporting on the case. Yay, Janine's back. You know, we said we'd see her again. And sure enough, here she is. She came back very quickly. She didn't She didn't make it all the way to the Midwest, I guess. Maybe she <laughs> didn't get quite get on that plane. Um, but, you know, publicly, uh, you know, they're on camera. The president, you know, very publicly thanks Frank. They shake hands. They pull out all these pens. And he gives the pen to Frank, or the main pen that he signs with. He gives the pen to Frank as a token. And... He tells Frank after the meeting that he wants to start having weekly meetings with Frank. As like his... Frank has clearly gained... I mean, he's continuing to climb that social hierarchy. He's being vicious, and now he's going to get a weekly with the president, which it becomes very clear the VP does not even get. Right, right. And let's not forget, like, remember episode one or chapter one, We Frank was crucial in helping to get this president elected. Hence, he thought he would get the Secretary of State nom. But, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely back in the good graces and, in fact, becoming a confidant for... Uh, maybe not a confidant, but, but definitely... Uh, but becoming a, a trusted player. advisor. A trusted advisor, for right. sure. There you, you know. go. Um, and you also, like, we you know, have this clearly jealous dynamic now growing with the vice president. Who's and very passive, though. Yeah, I don't know if he's a adversary worthy of Frank. Right. Not as much. Like, Spinella was the closest we've seen so far. Um, he seems kind of dim-witted, and we'll talk about that in the scene later on. Mm-hmm. But um, he kind of confronts Frank a little bit about um, the fact that they're nominating Russo for the position of governor, and seems he's, a little bit offended that he wasn't con- you know, consulted first. Because he's from Pennsylvania, right? Cause so. Exactly, because it's his state, and he he's not sure that he wants to get on the campaign and a person who doesn't you know, support a person who doesn't believe in whatever. Frank plays it off very smoothly, but... You kind of, I mean, you almost just kind of feel like he's raising the issue just because he wants to be involved. He wants, he wants to be involved. He wants to be heard. He wants the attention. He doesn't like the fact that everyone's kind of ignoring him. So right, he's he's, he's going to uh, make some noise. Not a big deal right now. Mm-hmm. Right, and so he doesn't do anything too big this episode. I feel like, but maybe that's going to come and haunt Frank later on. We'll see. Um, so let's talk about the Zoe and Frank relationship real quick here. Or quick here, Zoe kind of trails Frank out, and we find out that. She hasn't heard from Frank in three weeks. Um, let's remember that after the last episode, she called Frank, and um, oh, yeah. he was with Claire, and he kind of said, you know, he says to Claire, like, I'm done with business for the day or whatever. So he kind of, I mean, very clearly just kind of has been using her when necessary, and their relationship is very much business as far as he's concerned. Right. Um, so, but he says that he's going to have stuff for her coming up quickly but you kind of get the feeling that maybe Zoe's a little bit insecure she, you know she she very much realizes that she has shot above her station very quickly in the hierarchy of things but it's all, all due to Frank's leads and so if she doesn't keep getting those leads she doesn't have I mean she hasn't had other big stories he's fed her every big story she's had so she's all of a sudden going to come up dry on everything right the only really 
idea of or hint at what kind of a reporter she would have been without Frank is at one point Claire says she's a good writer when she reads a story that Frank helped feed her. Um, so she's probably a mediocre reporter, but like you're saying, she's really only successful because of Frank, because of the, of the info he feeds her. And I was going to ask you at this point in time, did you feel like he was kind of like, had he had been ignoring Zoe because he'd been reconnecting with Claire or do you think it's all business? I think it's business still right now for him. Yeah. I would, what I do think you think? Makes sense. Yeah. I think, I think you're right about that too. Um, but he does give her the pen the president gave him, which is just symbolic of how little that meant to him and how it's yeah, just he like, don't care. He doesn't give a shit about, you know, little tokens like that or whatever. Unlike the vice president who we find out is like very upset he didn't get a pen. Right. <laughs> but, um, Linda, that Linda has great interactions with the vice president because he goes to her to complain, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a very funny scene coming up. Oh, in fact, that's, we'll just jump to that because that's right on, like, pretty much coming up real soon. That was a really funny scene where the VP goes to Linda and basically says he, well, Linda tells him that they want, so his, his the VP's name is, last name is Matthews. And Linda tells him that they kind of want him to not be as involved in Pennsylvania during this whole Russo thing. And he kind of gets all huffy and he says, you know, er, you know, I don't have a role in anything. The president doesn't consult me about anything. I'm just a, po- like, I'm just a figurehead. And she kind of says to him, well, you know what you signed up for. That's what the VP does in this case. Which, I mean, VP has more power these days than they certainly did years ago. Um... They're not just a figure. They're not just the next in line. They're definitely helping write bills and and uh, 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 vetting and checking up on things and pushing being... initiatives through. I mean, they they definitely have a bigger responsibility now. Right, but it doesn't feel like they're doing too much with him, with no. with Matthews yet, and so he's not very happy about that. He just kind of feels like he's floating, doing nothing, showing and... up for photo ops and cutting ribbons or something like that. I think he says. Yep, and he's pissed he didn't get his pen, but they kind of tell him they want him to back off for a while, and so. I guess he's he's going to, but I can't. Admit, I think he's going to get that, that anger is going to continue to build, and it's got to be you know build up at some point. On the other hand, we have Russo and Stamper are are talking, and they're talking, and Russo tells Stamper that he's an atheist, which I don't know. I thought it was interesting to bring religion in here, um, especially considering at the end what Russo ends up selling. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, I, he ends up, you know what I'm talking about? At yeah. the end in the interview with Janine where I, he says he's like saved by God or whatever. We'll talk about that at the end. But. Yeah. I mean, I think they bring up religion right now for two reasons. One, because in AA, a lot of people, you know, find their, maybe they either rediscover or they find their faith in God or some God. Um, and two, how many atheist um, politicians are there out there? Openly atheists. Probably not very many. Absolutely. Yeah. Exa- well, it's certainly not openly, and it doesn't and like clearly he isn't openly, and mm-hmm. I guess that just goes. Maybe that's just what they're trying to illustrate here. Is like when you're in campaign mode, you're going to be disingenuous. You know, you're going to lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, you know, Stamper tells him that he's not necessarily a religious person, but he doesn't rule anything out. You know, he's yeah. an agnostic kind of. Um, so yeah. I don't know. Maybe that maybe that has some influence on Rousseau. I'm not quite sure. Um, and kind of how he transforms after. Christina comes back, but we also, this is kind of when we finally, you know, Roos, or a Stamper gets up and goes, and we have this scene with, or sorry, Russo gets up and goes, and we have like this scene with Stamper, and um, he's blackmailed by this hooker we saw a few episodes back, the hooker who he had paid to keep her mouth shut about Russo originally. But then paid her to open 
her mouth up one last time for him. That's right. And surprisingly, she is back for more money. Um, but he's surprisingly compassionate toward her. Were you surprised by how considerate he kind of was? I mean, um, a little bit. Um, but I think it was softened by how paternal he acted with Rousseau. So I think it, it made a little more sense. Had it had the prostitute section come first, and be like, whoa, you know, man, he he paid her to get his last time, and now he wants to take care of her. I don't know if something with trying to guide Rousseau through AA kind of helped turn the knob um, down on his sex drive or turned the knob up on his uh, paternal uh, uh, relationship with younger people. But he definitely uh, surprised me a little bit. Not as much as as I thought it would, but it it still kind of made sense to me. I liked it. Right, because she's threatening to alert the media. She found out who Stamper was through... Um, basically googling him. It right. sounds like yeah, looking until she, she recognized the picture in the government. So she's googled till she found his image. Actually, now that I think about it, in the beginning though, doesn't he kind of like he wants to? He he goes to Frank and tries to figure out a way to pay her off or what what their options are before acting taking care of her, right? Right. So first he has this scene in the in like I think it's like a cafe or something like that, a coffee shop where. Um, she says that she's going. She basically she says she wants to be bribed or she wants the money because she wants out of being a prostitute. She doesn't like that life anymore. Um, and surprisingly, he gives her money for now and says that he'll help her and he'll see what he can do and he'll get back to her. So right. he really does want to do something to help her out. And so yeah, he does end up going to Frank later on and asking Frank for his advice or, or money or whatever. Um, but yeah, he's he's surprisingly considerate. And I mean, I think she has a black eye at this point, like. Or something like that. I mean, she's, she looks, she does look battered, and I guess he just has more of a heart than we've really seen from him so far. So I think I was pretty, I was pretty surprised by that because it's not that he's been a vicious person up until this point, but he's just kind of been the cold um, guy who would do whatever you told him to. The right hand man that when the boss looks the other way, he handles the business. I, I, I do remember though, at some point they say, I forget who says it, but someone says, you know. This girl, I wrote her name. It's her name's Rachel. After he, she has her name's like I don't know, Diamond or something. First, I forget. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but she could be trouble for all three of them: Doug, uh, Peter, and Frank. So I don't know if yeah. Frank also hit it or if Frank was just involved because they're involved. I think. Well, because Frank, let's keep him. Okay, so this is what happened. Let's keep in mind that Russo was went to jail that night because he was found with a hooker driving drunk, and Frank basically told the chief of police that he would put money like give him money in his next upcoming election if he let Rousseau out and didn't tell anybody about it so Frank pretty much bribed the policeman so I think that's the Frank connection and obviously Stamper was the one who was doing it all for him so that's why it could get Stamper involved too and even you know involving the chief of police there too right right that makes sense so Russo's or Stamper's kind of pursuing this on the one hand. On the other hand, we have the Rousseau campaign is running pretty hard in Frank's basement. They've got a big, um, all sorts of people working there around the clock. I mean, I don't know how how far out are we. I mean, it just seems like elections just took place, and so we're pretty far out before there's actually going to be an election. It just goes to show how much work is on, you know, it takes place on the front end and how much you have to do. I mean, Claire's already written the bill. Claire's written the new jobs bill that he's going to have to move forward with. They're debating semantics about the littlest things, like whether it's better to say that 
Rousseau had a clean start versus a fresh start, you know, when they're talking about his background and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Rousseau, on the other hand, looks kind of, he's sitting on the couch, very removed. No one's kind of talking to him. He doesn't look that invested in it at this point. He kind of looks the same way he's been looking at AA. Like, he's not, he's still hesitant, not sure if it's what he wants to do. Um, not entirely enthusiastic about Claire's bill yet. Not sure he can get the support of the unions again. Because these jobs on that bill wouldn't come for years. Right. And so, and I mean, he just came, he's still dealing with the repercussions of having not stood up for the army base when they closed it or the air force base or whatever. And so I think he's still a little bitter about that. And so maybe he's not quite ready to accept a new plan that's going to, and, and like try to reach out to those guys again. He still feels like he let them down too much or something. Yeah. You kind of wish that Frank had figured out, I guess actually not Frank had figured out that he wanted Rousseau in as governor in Pennsylvania before he tried, he stole those jobs so he could get the jobs for the other uh, congressmen and to get the votes from the Black Caucus. Right, exactly. Damn, this is a roundabout. It's a a uh, house of cards. It's a a house of cards. But in the meantime, so Russo's going to get, gets grilled by this guy who's basically like an interrogator um, who like, he might as well be like an interrogator for like a, that's, that's what's his name. Um, was I recognize that actor, yeah. Yeah, but he was also, wasn't he one of the congressmen, was he the congressman that got bumped for the speaker job? Um, was that him? I don't I think mean? so. I don't no, know why okay. he would be on Frank's team. I don't know. They all, they all look alike to me. All the old I, white guys. <laughs> this guy was just like a... But so basically, you know... His job is to vet. His job is to vet, and he really digs in with the questions, and he's got all these great lines like, I know when I scraped all the shit off the shoe, so he knows when Russo's still hiding. I love that. That was great. And then, and then, like, Russo says, like, do you enjoy this, you sadistic bastard, or something like that, and he says, like, does a doctor enjoy it when he cups your balls? <laughs> <That was another thing. laughs> this is some old school boy talk. I like, I like that they're, they get real down in that basement. They do, and Russo gets rattled. And um... Yeah, he's not ready to face his sins yet. Like, you would think, like, Buddy, like, you know what you're getting into. You're going to have to own up to a lot of shit. And he is just not ready to face it and own up to it yet. And he, he, want, he says he wants to change, but if you're going to change, you gotta you got to address all this. And it gets real. It does. It gets too real for him. And Frank says, you know what? You can take a night to think it over. Um, obviously, Frank is confident that he's going to come back and be okay with it. That's how Frank plays his cards every time. And we see how... Frank kind of manipulates Rousseau down the line here in a second. But, um, yeah, it really does rattle Rousseau, and he's not, he, he's not entirely ready to come out about everything, like, to be honest with him, to, to own everything he's done thus far yet. And it kind of seems like to move forward he's going to have to. Um, so I guess, I mean, we're going to kind of slowly watch him evolve. Um, in the meantime, I want to talk, we have a little scene where Finally, Frank goes over to Zoe's place, and she wants info from him in exchange for sex, basically. Um, so he gives her a profile of Rousseau, but he gives her a profile of Rousseau for her to give to someone else, basically, because he says he doesn't want, you know, if you have too many links, then it's, it's gonna, you're going to be traceable. So he has to, so she's like, well, why would you give me a story to give to someone else? And he says, generosity is its own form of power. And we've kind of seen that in the way he is handing out favors to Rousseau and handing out favors to the Black Caucus and all these different people. He's and the Secretary of State, he's lining up favors so he has people in his pocket. He knows how yeah, that works. Yeah, he's he's teaching Zoe these power lessons too. Mm-hmm. Cuz as we see. And in the meantime while he's in the bedroom with Zoe though, 
Claire's back at home folding origami. She's folding origami birds, which I would like to point out is the same thing that the homeless guy folded her money into last episode and threw back at her. What do you think is the connection here? I, I'm not sure yet. I really don't know. What do you think? My best guess right now is that she, that was like, clearly last episode that took her by surprise when he gave her the money back. And like, she had always thought, we talked about this last episode, that by throwing money at somebody you would get rid of a problem. And I think it kind of took her off guard having the money thrown back at her and some, it symbolized something to her. And so I think that the fact that she's folding these birds over and over again is like, depicting that she can't get that lesson out of her head kind of or that maybe it's transformed her in some way what do you i mean yeah that that, that, that could be it I, I like that interpretation it, it reminds me of mad men in a way where you'll see hints of things but you won't know what it means or, or what it's for you just know that that character is thinking about something you know mm-hmm. they're, they're going they're they're thinking deeper about something they're learning a lesson of some sort they're evolving you know in just a little little increments things are changing within them and we've talked about this. We've talked about this before with Claire too. How much of her is just like unspoken looks and like like trying to infer what she's thinking because she's such a deep contemplative person, you know? Definitely, yeah. It's either that or she's trying out for season four or five of um, of uh, Prison Break. Michael Schofield. <laughs> Sorry, I'll keep, I'm going to keep making that joke. I need to stop with all the origami. Yeah. <sighs> We watch too much TV, Chris. I know, I know. I was just thinking I want to talk about Mad Men now. It was so good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Frank gets back from Zoe's, Claire and Frank at the window. He asks her about the origami, and she says it's just an interest. So she's not going to come clean and tell him kind of the the whole situation there. And I, I think that's symbolic of her not telling him about this transformation she's going through, these bigger ideas she's coming to terms with. So she's keeping something from him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he also asks her if this has anything to do with her pausing in front of the fridge, which we know is the menopause that she's not brought up with him in the past, this whole right. older. And she kind of gets a little bit defensive and says, no, that has nothing to do with it. So we know that Frank has noticed this before. Um, Claire is, would, I mean, do you think that Claire is self-conscious about her age? Uh, no, I just, I, I mean, if if you see age as weakness, then yes, but I think she's just worried, more concerned about being seen as weak, not, you know, you know, there can be power in age, but just being seen weak. And unfortunately I, in that moment, her age betrays her power and makes her look a little weak, but I don't think I, it's I agree. Age. I agree with you. Absolutely. I don't think it's anything superficial about getting older. I think it's all about looking weak. I think that's a very excellent point to make about Claire because that's what she's all about. Um, okay, so this is when we see Zoe out to drinks with Janine. And Janine is apologizing to Zoe for being a bitch to her, basically. For stealing oh, her job. Yeah. <laughs> what what did you think about trashed. that? I was a little surprised. I don't know about you. I, it seemed like Janine turned around, like, I, she forgave her really fast yeah she didn't need to give her an apology i mean they weren't like buddies or anything and she wasn't like undercutting or anything she just was defending her job yeah i don't know um it makes janine seem like a nice person though it makes janine more likable which she hasn't been so far they kind of made a point not to make her like that so maybe that was the strategy from the writers there 
I also thought it was funny they talked about how now that Tom's been fired back at the Washington Herald, they hire they've hired the editor of Entertainment Weekly Online. And I just thought like that was that was pretty funny. That was a good commentary I thought on people everyone trying to go TMZ to get clicks. Oh yeah, that, clearly that was like a hyperbole of what any like what would I, well, exactly. I would at least hope it I would, would hope be so, anything yeah. that would happen in real life, but still pretty funny. Um, but Zoe basically asked if Janine would be interested in working at Slugline with her. Um, and Janine is kind of like, well, why would you, why are we friends all of a sudden? It seems a little bit suspicious, but she's also really drunk. Yeah. And so Zoe's They're like kind of getting along pretty well in this Surprisingly. Surprisingly. Yeah. Um, and so Zoe... Which means like in another world, they could have been really good friends possibly. And maybe they still will be. I don't know. But Zoe kind of flatters her and says, you know, you reported in Washington for so many years. You can do so much more here. You have all this freedom. And she's like, well, you know, I'm so old school. I I don't have a good piece to prove myself. And so this is when Zoe kind of does the Frank Underwood and is all all tricky. And is like, well, I do have this one story about a profile for a guy who may or may not be running for governor of Pennsylvania. This, This is the moment, you can write it down, where I actually finally started liking Zoe. She's given me something to either love or hate about her. And she is becoming Frank's little protege in manipulation. He's teaching her lessons. She is becoming his protege. I think that's a good point to make. She's she's developing more of a personality, but it's like a reflection of Frank in many ways. Yep. Zoe just got interesting to me. Like mm-hmm. and and now I'm on board with her as a character. It she she's she's making it fun. She's mixing it up. We'll see if that continues as things go on, but Janine is definitely intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. I feel like Janine's got to see through this at some point, though. She's she's a smart cookie, right? She's well, a senior producer or reporter for on Washington. She knows how politics go and how manipulation happens. I mean, but at the same time, at the same time, the way they're depicting this though is like journalism is transitioning very quickly, and it sounds like the Washington Herald is not in a great position now that Tom left and that Zoe's gone. Like it sounds like. She's not. She doesn't like the environment anymore. She's looking for something. So maybe she's going to be blinded by the opportunity that Zoe's giving her, which I think is quite possible. And of course, later on we see Zoe vouching for Janine with the editor of Slugline. So kind of she's playing both sides. Um, but and so obviously the episode ends with the Janine interviewing Rousseau, and I want to talk about that at the very end. But um, so this is interesting. We have we go back to the AA. And we see Stamper give this big speech about sobriety. And he it's about fear, basically, and how he uses fear as a tool. Um, and how the idea that he could take a drink at any point in time and, like, fall back into where he was ten years ago or eight years ago or whatever is kind of what keeps him going. He uses it as uh, motivation in one way or another. And... This is what I was going to ask you, is what were your thoughts on Stamper's speech here? Did you feel like this was his, like he was being sincere here, or do you feel like this was him manipulating Russo? Because this is after he talks with Frank about how Russo is not talking in AA and how he's kind of being standoffish and stuff. I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think he is sincere about it, but there is a hint of strategy, a calculation behind why he's saying what he's saying and he's directing it clearly toward Russo because Russo needs to hear something like that to get his butt in gear uh, and own up to his his sins so he can move forward. 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think you're. I think you're right about that. I, I do think that um, Stamper is being sincere here. I feel like we see him being sincere throughout this entire episode. But I feel like the speech was specifically directed at Rousseau to kind of be like, come, you know, kind of teach him how coming clean and like being honest with yourself about your weaknesses, as far as substance abuse go, can be used as a tool in propelling your campaign forward, or one way or another. So he was, I think yeah. he was trying to help. Yeah. Um. But anyway, Rousseau ends up walking out of the meeting, and they can't find him. Um, so Stamper goes to Frank and says, and, and says, I can't find him. So they send out people to start looking for him everywhere and stuff. In the meantime, Stamper also alerts Frank of the hooker situation. And Frank says, well, do what you have to. And so um, Stamper says something like, I might have to contact Nancy. And we meet Nancy later. I just want to go ahead and ask, did, who is Nancy? Do you understand who that is yet? Is that? Am I missing something here? Yeah, Nancy's the uh, the lady assistant that works with Frank and um, and Doug. Oh, I don't, I don't, I feel like I haven't even noticed. She's this. the one that's always in the morning. Like she's the one that wakes him up with coffee when they were passed on the couch waiting. In the, oh, she, okay. she works in the office. She's like the. Okay, she's another office worker. Yeah. I was like, who the hell's Nancy? All of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, okay, so that's who that is. Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> Boo! No, I was kidding. But bef- uh, before that, though, Stamper's going to go to the police commissioner and try to basically blackmail him. Mm-hmm. But before that happens, um, Frank approaches Christina, Rousseau's old flame, and basically takes her into the car and asks her to run Rousseau's campaign. Uh, well, so I, mean, she, I wrote it down. Deputy campaign manager, so she'd work under... Right, oh, right. Deputy campaign manager. But Billy really, like, have a very... That's, like, a big huge role. Huge role, yeah. Right, and so, I mean, what did you see as Frank's play here? What's he trying to do? He's trying to get put all the cards or the elements in place so Rousseau will make this transition. And who better to be there with him than the person he loves? He want yeah exactly. I think that it's clear that Rousseau, he, like from what he's heard from Stamper, from what he's seen in the campaign office, Rousseau's still kind of on the fence about some things. And if Christina's on board, that could, will just you know, she's the one you know the one who can really make him uh, get more excited about it. Right. She she lines. can talk him into anything. Right. Almost anything. So, <laughs> Stamper and the police commissioner. Stamper wants the like tries to talk the police commissioner into paying ten grand, paying the hooker off with ten grand, and the police commissioner does not go for this at all. Yeah, he's like, "Yo, I already got corrupted once," which I just think is funny because it just goes to show like Stamper is no Frank. I mean, he's right. not, he can't sweet talk that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that if Frank was the one talking to the police commissioner, he could have gotten twenty thousand out of him. But you know, Stamper's not. That's why he's a henchman and not the lead guy. You right. Know? Right. But um, he so that doesn't work out for him. So he goes and he goes to the shitty motel where he's put her up for now, and he says that he's going to set her up for a place to live, and basically that he's going to help take care of her. And she starts to strip for him. Yeah, I, I immediately my mind's like, girl, put your clothes back on. He's not I mean, going for that, right? And like, obviously, that must just be her natural instinct. Is like, I don't have money to pay you back, so the only way I know how to pay people back is with my body. And thank God that he didn't go for that, because after kind of the whole situation, I mean, that would be pretty gross if he... Clearly, he's kind of playing the daddy role now, so that would have made things uncomfortable. 
Um, I'm still not sure where all this compassion is coming from, but he really, I mean, goes for it. And we, we get to meet Nancy. He brings Rachel over to stay with Nancy. Well, we already met Nancy, but we get to see Nancy's house. And um, Nancy pretty much... Nancy, her kids agrees. are grown up, and she's got the space, and and she agrees to this, right? Without knowing hardly, not, not even having met the girl. I mean, does that just go to show that, like, when you're working in politics, you know, you're a company man for the most, like, you're going to do whatever it takes, like, to support the people above you kind of thing, you know? Um, I, that's kind of how I perceived it. And so you see Rachel staying in this very, I thought this was, like, this very nice, innocent room with dolls, and it's all pink and everything like that. And it's like, this girl maybe never had a chance to really be a child, so it was kind of a very interesting... This girl looks like a vampire right now. Yeah, she was very gothy, and obviously has been through a lot of shit if she was a hooker, so... Interesting plotline. I'm curious to see how that plays out further on. Um, in the meantime, we have this great scene where the vice president sneaks into the Oval Office, sits in the president's chair, and steals one of his pens. Mm. And I just thought that, like, that was so immature of him, and it just kind of goes to show that, like... You're so close, very... but you're so far. How very superficial this guy is, and how clearly he will not be a worthy adversary of Frank. He might just be an irritation. Right. I, I saw I saw that as just like a guy kind of wanting something so badly, but knowing he'll never really get it. I think he's uh. too soft. I really don't think he's going to... I mean, I might be wrong, but I just see him as just this kind of lackluster, soft guy that thought he was doing this, going to be able to do these amazing things, and he's sidelined. And this yeah. is the closest he's going to get. He's going to go sneak in there, steal his pen, and sit in the desk and feel it for a moment, knowing that he'll never get that. Right. Absolutely. I think I, I think that's a really good interpretation. But a funny scene, nonetheless. Very funny scene. Totally. Yeah. You don't imagine... Could you think of Joe Biden doing that? Not, <laughs> not Joe Biden. Kind, kind of you could, and that's what makes it kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Anyway, so yeah, very funny scene. But um, then we see Rousseau coming over to Frank's house. Um, and he, apparently he has planned to come tell Frank he decided not to run. But who does he see in the living room? Christina. Chris, Christina. Christina. Yolanda. Christina um, looking very shaken a little bit, too. I thought she looked like she's kind of unsure of what's happening, what's going on. Well, I think it kind of, Frank clearly took her by surprise, and she's kind of like, well, after he's been an alcoholic and everything, why would you be backing him? But at the same time, she believes in him, because she loves him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he tells her that, you know, I was about to tell Frank I decided not to run, um, but I've been really confronting my past, and I've been making changes. What do you think? And she says... Do it. I believe I, you. Do it. I, I believe in you. I think you'd be great. And that's exactly what Frank wanted. She plays totally in everyone's lap. And so Rousseau is on board, even though the we find out from the investigator telling Frank that this guy was able to get the names of the prostitutes that uh, Rousseau has been with, the ages of the prostitutes. Like his report was ridiculously comprehensive. I had I had pause and try to read it, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was really funny when they were debating like what is valid for us to actually reveal and what are we going to try to sweep under the rug here? Right. <laughs> Clearly, he has a lot of shit going on. We can't be. We're going to be open about his past, but and use that as a tool. But we can only be so open about his past because he has a hell of a past. Exactly. When he hands the the sheet over or the the stapled pages of sheets, um, he's like he says something along the lines of, you know, the highlighted parts are parts that you know we couldn't verify or that may that may be of concern down the road. And there's so much high, highlighted. 
Yeah, I know. It was... I thought that was really funny. And so, um, Russo now, but like, so his campaign is like up and running and he, you see, we see the scene with him on the line on the phone and Claire's listening in on the phone at the same time, but he's on the phone trying to get people to help him, getting other congressmen to help him sponsor the river bill, which is going to get those jobs back that he lost in Pennsylvania. Um, so he's, he's. And I think the scene is to depict that, like, now he's excited about... Because remember, he this is one of the things he wasn't really that excited about the bill initially, but now he's kind of excited about it. So it's kind of showing his renewed vigor for the campaign. Right. But um, Claire gives him, like, an Orakami crane or you know. he He's handing her a purse or it falls over and he he sees it. Right. Um, it, what did you take from this scene? That was... I don't know. I, I I feel like there's something symbolic of her letting him have it. I agree. I thought it was like they had a weird connection there. But but that that's the other thing. Like the actual connection that they had. I don't know if it hints at a possible romantic spark or if it's just a conspirator spark or or I don't I don't know. There's something there though, definitely. I don't know what it is yet. It felt to me like for some reason with like Russo's acknowledgement or of the origami that it was some like it was like Claire was like opening up to him somehow or like letting him into some vulnerability of hers or something like that. I don't know. It did seem like a, a connection and I'm not sure what it means yet. But I don't know. I'm excited to see what it means. But just um, following up on Russo, we see him back at his apartment, you know. Back at his apartment on the computer, and Christina shows up. She still has a key. And basically, like, they just get it on right there. Like, their relationship is absolutely kindled again. So I think he says, I love you, and then boom, it's on. Yeah, they're hot and heavy. It's it's all back. So I'm glad, though, because I think they have... I like them together. They have a legit relationship. They really care about each other. I, I like them together. Everyone's too. getting back together in this episode. Well, I guess not everyone, but... Rousseau and Christina, um, Janine and Zoe are now working together. Uh, well, let's. Uh, there's a scene at the end that is going. I think blows. Is, oh, anyway, I'm excited to talk about this. But before we get there, um, scene with Linda Frank and the president, in which they talk about keeping the vice president out of Pennsylvania. Basically, how they just see him as a hindrance. They call him a pain in the ass. I think the president actually calls him a pain in the ass, which is pretty funny. That is funny. Um, and Linda openly wonders about Rousseau, like, why him? And Frank outright reveals the alcohol and drug abuse in the past. And Linda clearly is like, she's thinking, like, what uh-huh. the hell? But the president now trusts Frank because of how ballsy Frank was about the education bill and how he pulled it off. So he gives Frank the okay. And well, Frank uh, gives this... Frank sells the underdog story, basically. That's oh, absolutely. What really... Sells it for him. Well, and I think he took kind of the president and Linda by surprise. And he kind of even says that, you know, sometimes you overpower doubt with a flood of naked truth. Mm-hmm. And he's he's such a good orator and he just knows... I mean, he's got a silver tongue. You know, he knows the right, right thing to say and when. I think he did say... I don't remember if he said this or if I just wrote this down, but that education bill, it bought Frank influence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um... So a couple interesting scenes we have kind of in a row here. Janine interviewing Rousseau for that profile. So basically we know she is doing Wait, I just thought of something real quick I want to bring up again. In the last scene, when Linda mm-hmm. goes like, I'm not cool with that. Or what are you talking about? Frank get, like does a like 
like a dramatic in my mind this is how it happens like a dramatic oh yeah roll of the head and a look at the camera like this <laughs> yeah i know and then roll back and then rolls it all the way back over and then kills it with his uh with uh his uh, uh um defense uh those are my favorite parts when he does that like remember when i hated it i i did not yeah, like I it know. now it works it works with 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 um with looks i love the looks because i know exactly like you can just look at me and i get it i know what he's thinking i don't need the explanatory uh, always sometimes sure but like as background you know what i think is i think now it helps that you know the character better and so it's like you totally now you you feel like you're in his head a little bit and so that when he looks at you you feel like i mean and that's i think the exact intent is like you feel like you're on the inside you know and obviously we have more information than the president and linda do because we know what frank's plans are and so, it, I don't know, it makes you it, it feel more, it, it, you get this intimate feeling and stuff. I don't know, it's cool. I think it's an interesting strategy. Yeah. Um, you're right, so awesome, again. But anyway, uh, Janine interviewing Rousseau for the profile that was fed from Frank to Zoe, to Janine. And I just think it's funny that Rousseau tells her, like, I thought he was going to actually tell her something juicy and, like, be right out, at, like, honest about all his stuff finally. But no, he just says... Kids and God made him sober. <laughs> he, yeah, he's got his script now. He's ready to go. Yeah, he's got his sound bites that it, well, I'm sure he's going to have to say over and over again because clearly that's going to be a big point in this campaign is being reborn. So I'm interested to see how far they take the religion, especially considering that he said he was an atheist at the beginning of this episode. Um, now, let's get to the weirdest scene in this episode. Oof. Um, it all starts with Zoe returning home and her old buddy Lucas from the Herald, the editor with the curly hair and glasses, shows up at her doorstep when she's trying to get in. And he's drunk and he confesses that he has feelings for her. I don't, did you get that impression back when they were interacting at the beginning? No, but I figured that would happen at some point. They're both young and attractive. You know, I figured it would probably happen. Right, so, but in the meantime, we find out Frank is actually watching. He was about to go over to Zoe's or whatever. So he's actually watching while all this is going on from the back of his SUV through his tinted window. Um, but Zoe turns him down. After he kisses her for a while. <laughs> yeah. And so, d- Frank appears happy about this. I was going to say, do you think Zoe turned him down because she legitimately didn't like him? Or is it because she... Okay, so there's a lot of things I had I, like, going on here. Do you think that Zoe realizes that she needs to stay with Frank because of the benefits for her career? Is it about ambition? Or does she actually care for Frank and prefer to be with him? Or did she really not like this guy? I mean... I don't know. They haven't given, her, they haven't given us much to go off of for Zoe's motivations outside of ambition. So I really don't know at this point. I think in another time, Zoe would have been down with this guy. But... I Only if he could have, like, she may have had a crush on him, but she was, you know, used him to get higher, possibly. But there could have been a lasting relationship. I don't think there will be one with Frank. And I think she somewhat knows that. But she's young, so who knows? I think this kind of feeds into her new protege relationship with Frank. And, like, she, I think that although she may know that it's obviously not a lasting relationship, he's married and everything like that. And to some degree, she's aware that they're both using each other. She does feel connected to him because of... It all started with, like, the obviously the story clips that he was able to give her. But also, I think just kind of what he's been able to teach her, she feels... He, she knows he's, she's attracted to him being just a man of power who's able to teach her things. You right. 
Yep. So he shows up, and he opens the wine bottle with a pen, which I thought was pretty badass. With the pen. The pen. The pen that was... The pen the president gave him, which was, I thought, also kind of symbolic, again, about like how much he doesn't give a shit about the pen. And uh, he continues to give her lessons, telling her it's always good to be owed favors by people. Um, but he does ask Zoe about other lovers, and if she ever wonders about... You know, his age... Was Frank being self-conscious here? What do you think that... I mean... Or was he just curious? I... I think he was just curious. I don't think he's a very self-conscious guy. I mean... No, I don't think so either. I don't think so. He may be aware of flaws in other people because he can exploit them. But as far as he is with himself, he's pretty confident. So confident, as we know, that he'll challenge the president. I think that he was more asking because he had just seen this interaction with Lucas and he was more amused by the fact that she turned him down. Right. So I think he was kind of like, he wanted to hear what she said about like... Right. He wanted he to learn a little bit about her too. Maybe he could use that down the road, I, I would think. Whether she was going to lie to him or whether, what her, like why she turned him down. Yeah. I think he was more, I don't think it was a self-conscious thing either. But um, we see this scene where Zoe traps a spider. With the, with, uh, the wine glass. Oh, the wine glass. Also, she, she tells... bought wine that had already turned, which is gross. Yeah, and then she dumps it all out. Um, but she says that she traps the bugs and puts them by the super super's door just to like because he won't call an exterminator. That's funny. Um, and Frank once again is like, "Why don't you have your parents pay for a better place?" And again, she's like, "I don't want money from my parents," which I think is a little bit Frank like being kind of condescending. Obviously, I don't know if it's like young girl should just take money from her parents kind of thing or if uh, what exactly he's insinuating because clearly he's been impressed by her strength up to this point right yeah but um i think it's so it's her dad's birthday or something is it her father's father's day it's father's day and so he tells her to call her father and um we see what i would say is among the most awkward scenes we've seen this far in the show um, Frank is giving a monologue to begin to the camera while Zoe's on the phone with her dad and Frank's saying how there's there's value in secrets and how Zoe keeps her secrets from him and he realizes that but there's that's okay and that what we are is what we choose to reveal which is kind of I mean clearly he's you know wears many masks depending on who he's with um, but then we see like Zoe draw a heart toward him in the condensation on the window while she's talking to her dad but uh, then she comes in and takes Frank's pants but, but, off. But, 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 but she turns that heart into a wiener. That's right. That's <laughs> you know what I had is I, I I wrote down Zoe draws heart and something else question mark. So I didn't actually see what happened. Yeah, she drew, so, the, the the heart became the balls, and then she drew a shaft <laughs> and a dot. So she wants some, and so she comes in and takes Frank's pants off while she's on the phone with her dad. This is getting real creepy. I mean, this I is getting she's got real. some type of daddy issues, but this is just getting crazy. Ugh, it's getting real creepy. And he goes down on her while she's on the phone with her dad. And uh, she says something. Uh, he says something to her like, aren't you going to wish me happy Father's Day? Which is gross and creepy. And in the meantime, we get a, like the, we, the scene ends with the shot of the spider struggling in the glass. Right, because so, he turned it upside down so it'll survive, but it's trapped forever. Which is almost worse, right? Yeah, I mean, it's way worse. Shit, so, so much going on, and in, in, like, symbolically, I feel like, in this. What are your, what are your takeaways? 
I don't know. I was trying to figure out who the spider is supposed to be, but mostly because Frank was the one who took the spider. Zoe was going to use it for something to to prove a point, right? To her, to her super, or to her uh, um, landlord. But Frank takes it in the trap and sets it up in a different way, so that spider will forever be in that position and be his to do whatever he wants with. So I, I kind of saw manipulate the spider being like Zoe. Rousseau, any anyone in his life that he manipulates to get what he I mean, wants, and it illustrates a little bit the difference between Zoe and Frank too. Because exactly. I think Zoe, Zoe to some degree, still is a journalist at heart and thinks she's doing stuff for the greater good, whereas Frank's just all about yeah. Power. They're definitely and, cut from the same cloth, I think. Especially and the scene that showed that to me was the pen when he's like, "Hey, give me a pen," and she just whips out the pen that the president signed the bill with. And he's like, cool. Yeah. And then, I mean, that spoke volumes to me about that. They're very similar. But there is that difference. Zoe will use the the, the, the pawn for something. Frank will keep that pawn trapped. Which I think is more how Claire is, too. Claire's more about the like the use power, too. So you, you see Claire and Zoe kind of represent two different sides of Frank, I feel like, to some degree. Um, what about the daddy issues here? Uh, that, I don't even know. Like, I tried to figure that out. I mean, she's an independent woman. She doesn't want money from her parents. She doesn't want to be attached to that. She's on her own. I respect that big time. There's rare girls that are her age that are actually um, attempting that type of a feat to be that independent at her age with the type of job and pay that she was getting. Um, but, but I don't know. I don't know. She seems she, like she came from a nice home. <laughs> she's seduced by the power, like... By the power that he's given her, I guess. She's drunk on it or something like that. Also, um, and like, this is obviously, this might be a little bit over the top, but I'm just going to say, like, I, I think that it's if I, you know, interesting that he happens to be going down on her when we know that Frank's talent is is the talent of speech in his silver tongue. Uh, I think that might be a little bit. Nice. Well, it's too far, but I mean. Not too far. Nice. At that's, the same time, a, a very, very literal manifestation of Frank's talents. Um, but anyway, very awkward scene. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen there as the series goes on, but I'm excited to watch the next episode. Overall, impressions of this episode? Overall, I loved the symbolism that they used in this. There was a lot, like, there was a lot of, um, with the pen, with the spider, um, with the origami. Like, it's, this was heavy on imagery, and I find that fascinating because then we have to interpret it and think about what it means. Because you know something's happening, but they won't tell us exactly what it is. Hopefully we'll find out. I love that. I also love that um, Rousseau is kind of back on board and we get to see him as a guy to root for. Even though he is being a little tricky and deceptive, he's still kind of more of the pure of heart uh, characters we have. And mm-hmm. finally, I, as I said earlier, I, I have a reason to be interested in zoe at this point because she's now trying to play the games that frank has kind of taught her how to do and she's doing that so i i'm I'm fascinated to see how far she can take this because she's a rookie man you know she's gonna mess up before frank does on the whole rookie or the whole zoe and frank relationship too i want to just add to that and say what i also like about it is like zoe's finally evolved beyond like the um new age journalist kind of stereotype they fit her into for the first few episodes and now that like frank is making her his protege or something like that she is becoming a more complex character and that's what we were just looking for from exactly the exactly so i do we think that's why we're appreciating that. right so i did like that portion of the episode i did like uh obviously i like all the stuff about rousseau um i think it'll be interesting to stay like 
I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like what we're going to end up debating is like, was he a better man when he was an honest man but a druggie and an alcoholic than he is as a disingenuous, sober dude as a politician? So I think, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what kind of politician he makes as his campaign continues. Definitely, definitely. Um, um, I also want to learn more about Claire's origami thing. I think there'll be more there down the line. And... Um, it was nice to learn more about Stamper this episode. I thought oh, that was right. cool. Yeah, I like him as a character. Yeah. So I gave it yeah. I gave it a four and a half. I give it a four and a half too. I would agree with it. This was a good episode, Great episode. A solid episode. Had a lot of also kind of strands that were, you know, keep us excited for the next episode. Definitely. So. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks again, everybody, for joining us for this episode. As always, please check us out on iTunes at This Has a Cards Podcast. Like us, rate us, leave us comments and questions. You can also send your questions or comments to This Has a Cards Podcast at gmail.com. And please come like us on Facebook. Chris, where can people find more of what you're talking about this week? I'm on Twitter at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. What about you, Chris with a K. I am on Twitter (laughs) at TJMoss11. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and uh, have a great week. Talk to you soon. Bye. I don't want to be your friend. I just want to be your love.